This is Hawaii Rising, a podcast from the Hawaii People's Fund. I'm Suyuno Amos. I'm Kenji Cataldo. Today is our last episode featuring new grantees from this year's cohort. In the coming weeks, we will be turning to our returning grantees, who we spoke with last year, for follow-up conversations. So keep an eye out for those episodes to hear some of the developments in our community partners' work. The interview you're going to hear today was recorded at a very special place on Oahu. We were invited out to speak with Iokepa and Kalei from Kuhioloko, out on the aina they steward at Pu'uloa. Kuhia Loco promotes native Hawaiian, indigenous, and culture-based land, species, and natural resource management. As an ohana with four generations currently connected to and working their aina, they credit the generations before them for laying the foundation and passing down the ike that allows them to do what they do today. Kuhia Loco encourages the growth and education of family units to reconnect with aina and each other. They do this work in an area riddled with the impacts of displacement, disconnection, misuse, urbanization, and militarization. Their stewardship revitalizes the area's historic level of cultural importance, abundance of natural resources and native species, and community-based subsistence and connections. Here's our interview with Iokepa and Calais from August. Okay. So we're here at Kuhia Loko, and it feels really special to be here. And we're sitting with Kale and Kepa. And maybe you both can just introduce yourselves and introduce us to this Aina. Aloha mai, Kale Aiona Kupuna Koinoa. Noho Aumakeia Aina, O Kuhia Loko, Aina Kanaka, Aina Kapu, Aina Momona. Aina Ho'ona'o'au Kanaka, Aina Vaivai. Aloha, my name is Kalei, uh, here at Kuhia Loko. This is a sacred land. This is a precious land, a land abundant, a land rich in resources, a land to strengthen the people of Hawaii. Uh, aloha mai. Hui. Aloha nui kako, ina pua na mamo, na pula o ke ia aina, ma ke ia aina, nea ia aina e ae. O wau no oi o kepa, he kama o ke ia aina o kuhia loko. He aina kaulana, he aina punahele, he aina vaivai, he aina likeole. Mahalo o kou. Aloha, I'm io kepa. You guys heard Kalei, my older brother. We're both out here at Kuhia Loko. Um, yeah, uh, a special place to us, uh, a place of our ohana, um, past, present, and why we're here is to push it into the future. Um, yeah, it's a place rich, rich in resources, rich in water, um, and now we bringing back that richness of aloha into this place. And yeah, in our eyes, a place like no other, a place favorited, you know, across the Paiaina for generations from multitudes of different people. Uh, we're still sitting here today, um, holding on to things 
that still exist, some things that never left, and bringing them back, um, holding on to stuff from here to keep it here yeah, for now, for times to come. Yeah, aloha no. <laughs> uh, mahalo for introducing yourselves and introducing us to this really special aina. Um, can you share some of your ohana's uh, history here and also how uh, you both came in sort of into this work of now restoring, of conserving the special place for the future? As far as our family's history, it's a long history. Um, yeah, we're at Kuhio Loko in the Moku of Ewa, um, the district of Ewa, in the Ahupua of Waiawa, more specifically Waiawa Kai. Um, and yeah, it's a place our, our family's always been around. I'm always been connected to, you know, as you move, life takes us different places, but the way that circle of life moves, at some point it's always brought our family back to, to different extents, to the point where we are now. For me, I, I was born and raised out in the district of Wailua, grew up out that side, spent a lot of time there, but we were always still connected to the Ewa Moku and the Ewa district. Um, and then as we got older, we started to spend even more time we worked ourselves into a little niche of, you know, different mahiai that was sitting on this land that just happened to overlap with our family's connection here. Um, and it got to a point where, you know, as what happens, the generations of that family weren't really here to follow up on that land. Um, and that's kind of where we've, life brought us. Um, so we're still here, we're back here. Um, and just resetting the purpose and the function of this place. Um, but, yeah, overlapping both sides of our family, overlap into this, this district, you know, from people managing land, educators, doctors, lawyers, uh, judges, sheriffs, you know, police, you know, and everything in between, mahiai, fishers. Um, so, yeah, life just brought us back here and, you know, that circular thing. Um, fortunate we're able to raise our ohana here um, and rebuild that sense of place for them. Um, and I think part of it is rebuilding the sense of place for us as a broader connection of people, um, you know, from Hawaii in Hawaii, you know, just pushing for a place for all of us to have and hold on to, to realize that what the beauty of this land that we sit on is, what the beauty, what the significance, yeah, what makes Hawaii like no other place in the world. You know, so I guess our listeners can't see this place, but obviously it wasn't, uh, like this, right, um, when you first came here. Could you just share a little bit about what that process kind of looks like or involved, like what is the hana that was involved in getting to where you're at now? Yeah, there's a, a lot of work that went into uh, what we see here today on this land. From the times when it was uh, all low ikalo and loko ia, fish ponds and taro patches. Um, 
through different transition, different types of farming over the years, from rice to uh, watercress production, uh, different types of farming, uh, militarization, um, things like that, different transition points. Um, and this land we're sitting on in the other part of our uh, Ohana was uh, watercress farmers. And a lot of these patches were uh, filled with watercress. A lot of these lo'i were filled with watercress, watercress production. It was a watercress farm for many years. And um, over the years, it became harder to farm the watercress and sustain this farm relying on watercress production, different pests, climate change. Um, just became very difficult to uh, sustain this farm through farming watercress. Um, it went from being productive to breaking even to, you know, paying out of pocket. And to the point they got to, we almost uh, left this land because we could no longer pay the bills uh, based off of farming watercress. And word got out to some of our uh, Ohana out there and different uh, friends and family got word of you know, us leaving this land and they knew the importance of us being here on this land and the things that we do that we were able to um, build our, our Kuhia Local, the organization, our nonprofit organization, and rely on education, rely on our habitat management and our species management through indigenous knowledge and able to build what you see here today. And um, yeah, so it's a lot of work. After farming watercress, um, a lot of the patches became overgrown with invasive species and a lot of the waterways were blocked. A lot of the, some of the native habitat, the birds are getting pushed out and things like that. So a lot of work were put into habitat management, you know, in, in removing invasive species so our natives could thrive, remo removing predators so that they could um, no longer uh, threaten our birds and our habitat and just a lot of uh, hands-on work and that's where we're at today. <laughs> I think like during that whole transition um, well that other part of Ohana was still here farming doing the watercress we were in here um, just as Kokua just to come in help them manage the land um, in a different way, like their focus was the watercress and our focus was, you know, revitalizing the Aina. Like even while they were here growing watercress, there were certain things that never left the land. Um, and for them, like their kuleana is mahiai, they just, they malama, they took care of things and made sure that they existed. And where we came in was to build upon those things that still existed and give them the space and the comfort to flourish. Um, but then, then in that transition where the farming got harder um, and, you know, we were kind of at mercy to an extent um, of the landowner at the time. So we started downscaling, you know, the size of what the watercrest farm was. So certain areas that we, we used to malama and take care of, we started to let overgrow. Because um, like Kalei said, there was a 
point where we weren't sure if we were going to be here tomorrow. Um, so we had to start to pick and choose our battles where we would make sure we left things so that they could, if we had to leave, they could hold on. Um, but with that, you know, everything, the invasives started to crowd in from outside. Um, we had that transition where we pretty much flipped the system over, um, put the focus back into habitat, you know, management, revitalization, the education, and then, you know, keeping the farming, but just as a way to sustain, like ourselves, our ohana, um, the community around us, and keep those skill sets alive. But with that also came those areas that started to creep in on the outside that we thought we weren't gonna have, got thrust back upon us. So those places like, were forests over here, like trees. It would, you know, this place is beautiful, like you guys said today. You feel the wind blowing, you know, the sunlight shines through. It wasn't always like that. <laughs> you know, the trees block the sun, block the wind. But they also block the view, you know, and the hard parts of manage, managing um, species are just one piece of aina is managing not just the area that you're sitting, but the outskirts of it. Everything is going to come in, you know, so you got to manage the land that you're given and also a little that you're gonna just take kuleana for. Um, but yeah, so part of it was we set ourselves up for more work. Um, but for us, we're fortunate where the work is the easy part. Like, it's having the time to do the work that gets hard. <laughs> um, you know, like, I, as a nonprofit, we're young. Um, I think we got official designation papers 2019. Uh, when we initialized establishing a nonprofit was 2017. But the work we've been doing goes far beyond that, you know, over 10 years beyond just of the two of us, not including the rest of our Ohana that was already here doing work. Yeah, for generations. But um, so for us, transitioning to the nonprofit was the learning curve. Because um, now we got to balance all of those things, but we don't have the farming, that business side. And we weren't sure if that's what we wanted to put, put ourselves into. For us, you need food. We'd rather feed you. <laughs> like, we're going a hard time because of how we was raised to ask people for certain things. Um, which makes it hard running a nonprofit because you always got to ask for money. Uh, so we, even when we first got established, we still did a lot of things. Like the nonprofit is what gave us a place to hold the entity of who we are on this land. But we're still doing things like we all work full-time jobs. Like we've yet to pay somebody through our nonprofit. And um, we would have to fight to see who would take the first penny because none of us want it. That's why we got the full-time jobs, because that gives us the opportunity to do all of this work. Like, with, I wouldn't say no strings attached, because it's different strings, but you know, those are the strings that we drew the connection to ourselves. Those are our roots. Yeah, it's our kuleana. So you can do the work like that. It's easier. You know, when someone's cutting one paycheck, like, you got you to gotta follow that line. So we do that outside um, so we can come back here continue to do that work, 
and learn how to figure out building the nonprofit up to a different capacity without giving up everything we're working for um, to bring all of that, the funds and that support and put it back into the Aina Direct. Um, so we can maximize like, a lot of the work we did, like we said, it was coming out of pocket to an extent. So we didn't have the fancy tools or equipment. Like we were still doing things, some people would call it the old school way. But now, as we're learning, and we're, we're fortunate to have support of other people in you know, Hawaii Community, or Hawaii People's Fund, Fund, Hawaii People's Fund was actually our first official grant that we ever received. Um, and when we were able to buy like new tools for us to do things like more direct was like whole. Big help, yeah. huge help. Like, yeah, it cuts down, it makes everything we did more efficient. Um, and for us, that's what we're always trying to, to find that balance of efficiency and function. Um, of ourselves and everything around us, like how this whole system is managed, is efficiency and function, balance. Yeah, I think I missed, yeah, on the transition point we talked about, spoke mostly about the watercress farming, but all the, all these species that you see here today still existed and never left. They've always been here. But now we're growing them, we're creating more space for them so that they can thrive all of the species, the numbers, the counts um, are way higher than what they ever were um, to the point where they now, some of them are out competing with the uh, invasive. Some of our native fish and some of our locals are, it'd be harder to find an invasive species in there than it was in the past. It'd be very hard to find a native in some of these areas years ago and now it's hard to find an invasive in there so but the species has always been everything you see out here that we outplanted everything you see out there thriving we just spread the seeds out and we plant planted them out more but this place is always abundant all of these things we never went out and bought any of this or never came from another land all of this was already here intact throughout the years and yeah. yeah, yeah. some of the species that we have here that we're able to hold on to started from small little clusters that popped up on one little hole in the ground. Who knows how long that seed has been sitting there. Um, popped up, and we're fortunate, you know, could identify it. Malama, they took care, and when we had the opportunity, started to, yeah, expand upon them, let them thrive, let them flourish, and then as we did that, just more of these species would just continue to pop up. Like, you know, like I said, you're revitalizing the land, you're bringing the breath back to the land. And as it, it's growing, you know, it's, it's finding that comfort. It's releasing more um, of itself to us. And bringing that breath back in, you know, the more plants we got, the more oxygen, you know, then we go below the water surface. Um, yeah, so we're fortunate, like I said in the beginning, Vai Vai, like not just rich in water, but rich in resources. Like there's a lot, our native species, we never had to go and like search or, you know, run out and go buy them. Like they existed here. And if they didn't exist, like in the little kipuka that we're sitting in, like, 
they're in this ahupua'a. They're a stone throw away from our back property line. So like, it's only natural. We bring that genetic stock to a place that's not being managed and bring it back um, where we can manage it and allow those things to hold on. Because that's part of the mo'olelo of this land. Like even if you find those plants elsewhere, you find these, you know, these birds, these fish, you find them elsewhere. The ones that were able to hold on to their existence in this place, hold a unique and like really significant mo'olelo, a connection to that story of this place itself, you know. And that's something that we try to like, what Hawaii People's Fund's funding has been able to help us do is, you know, allow us to get more efficient in our work so we can bring in, you know, full ohana units to help people see those things, um, to realize that, you know, certain things still exist and realizing the importance of like place-based management, um, not just like place-based as in sense of place, like here we are, this is what we're gonna do, but place-based as in we can walk through these pieces of this land and point to you like a specific hole where a certain species might have started, like first generation and then connect that molelo to like first generation, to the second went here, third went there. And um, whether it was, we became a part of the system to help that or it's just been natural. Um, and teaching the Ohanas to look at things like that. So now they go back home or they go back to wherever they're from. And it's not like, oh, I gotta go run to the store and pick this up. Like I gotta find where they exist in my own backyard. Because um, it's, it's important holding on to things that are been able to hold that genetic, you know, connection, that ancestral connection to a certain place. Because here might not be the same as on the other side of the mountain. It might be the same plant or, you know, same general species, but the specifics of what they grew up in in life is what brings that uniqueness. Like all four of us, like we, we had different upbringings, brought us to the same place today, but it's what we grew through, what made us standing in the different, you know, positions we all have now. Yeah, just being able to do that really connects you back to the land in a different way too. Um, when you start on something that starts maybe as only one, maybe it's common elsewhere, but you, we start with one inside one little ili or one section of land or within one whole ahupua'a. You gotta hold a different level of respect to make sure that one can turn into 1,000. Um, and then when it does, it's that deeper, you have a deeper connection. That's, it's no longer a plant or a species, that's ohana, that's family. Um, you know, we are them, they are us. And that's how it is in the full circle. That's really inspiring hearing you describe this place as a kipuka, not only for all of these native species, but also for these different ways of knowing and that kind of, um, yeah, that knowledge that comes from knowing a place so deeply. You, you mentioned some educational programs. Can you talk some more about the different um, educational programming that you've offered in this space? Over the years, we've done, uh, even before our nonprofit was formed, we've always had, um, 
Kayapuni schools, our native uh, Hawaiian immersion schools, having uh, field trips here and different type of uh, site visits. And um, also our Punana Leo students, our preschool, uh, Hawaiian language preschools also been coming here. And that was all for free, just stuff that we did um, just for the keiki and for the future of Hawaii, stuff that it was just fun for us, you know, and stuff we didn't think about. It wasn't some type of programming or we did it because of a some kind of grant demand or, you know, we did it out of, that's just what we do, you know? Yeah. Create a space for the future of Hawaii. So we always did volunteer groups and then my brother can share a little bit more. We, we've also done programming uh, with some college pro college uh, programs with West Oahu, so Kepa can speak yeah, on so, that. Yeah, over the years we've done, like one of our key focal points because our ohana has always been connected to Kayapuni was obviously with the Kayapuni classes. And then as we started to grow and, you know, we make our own connections outside, then we started to realize like, how do we connect with certain schools in our community, you know, to get the keiki out here to realize that same thing, that these things exist. Like bring kids from the Eva district, the Eva Moku, who are used to seeing dry brush, red dirt, you know. Um, they believe life is always on drought out here. And then you bring them to a place full of life, full of water, and have some of them realize, like, yeah, we sitting on a piece of the largest aquifer system on the island. The surface may seem dry, but beneath our feet, you know, the wealth of the land is constantly flowing. Um, that's the beauty of Pu'uloa, yeah? the abundance of water that came out to this place. And just getting that back to the keiki, just opening that little window for them to see, you know, a different perspective of where they are, you know, hopefully grow a little awareness, pride, shift in perspective. Um, and then just getting them on the land for us, it's, some of this stuff is natural because we always grew up like outside running around, being scolded, red dirt on your feet, don't bring it in the house, where's your slippers, um, why are you guys all wet, why do you smell like fish? And then we bring in kids out here and, you know, we give them a scoop net to go and catch some fish and to help them identify, you know, understand their place in the system, whether it's a food system, the ahupua'a system, or the system of life, like where we each connect and overlap. So we give them the scoop nets, tell them, okay, go catch some fish, we'll help you identify natives, non-natives, um, uses, purpose. Some of them are like, how do I use this? And like, oh, go back, scratch your head, like, okay, we gotta start from square one. But that's why we do it. You know, we've had kids come out here and they're, it's my first time doing this. But we send them back home with the scoop net, send them home with the bamboo pole. They come back another time and it's, oh, now my, my kid asking me every weekend, can we go? Or they found a river in our backyard. And just getting that, them out there, like getting that exposure to different groups as well. Um, and trying to reconnect pieces of that chain and then, even if it's to know that this isn't directly the line of work you wanna do, but to know that without work that's being done on land, 
we're going to, we lose the land, we lose its importance, and then we lose our ability to sustain and survive. Um, so just putting that back there to remind them, and then, you know, fortunately we get groups of teachers, educate the teachers, because, you know, there's this shift for Aina-based education, but then how many of the educators that we send in the keiki with have their own backing in that or have that understanding. So we can't expect them to teach or to train a certain way. So we bring them out there and we start to help them scratch the surface so that they have these ways to connect with the keiki and um, figure out different ways to create the curriculum to bring this, like, bring the change into the minds of the younger generation. That's where it's gonna start, you know. One child spends the majority of his life in a classroom. So we get in the classroom, we get, we're able to plant these seeds back in there. Um, rather than spend the whole time in the classroom, they come home tired, they don't, they don't have time to get on the aina. So find ways to keep that, that iini, that fire burning in them and realize like, you know, not all of us are meant to learn in a classroom. To give them all, everybody a chance to thrive and flourish in different aspects. And then obviously, yeah, we have our college classes. Um, we've had a few college classes that were able to come through and been able to do some interesting changes. Um, we're fortunate we've had um, some good friends and people we kind of consider Ohana that was working out in UH West Oahu with the Sustainable uh, Community Food Systems Program. And they, they seen what we do as an Ohana and then they seen what we do as an organization. And um, it overlapped with what they were trying to bring back into the school was that same thing, like getting students back out onto the aina um, and a, give more incentive for students who might not want to sit in a classroom, a reason to go back to school, um, to get the piece of paper, get the pala pala, um, so over time we started with like, we'd start doing some huakais with uh, a couple of those classes from the FCFS program. That started turning into a couple more classes and then that turned into, at one point we were at a full-blown classroom for I think up to seven different classes through that program. And all based, you know, off this aina, like obviously they have their curriculum and their curriculum spans across different you know, not just Hawaii, but it's indigenous knowledge systems across, you know, the earth. So they can see that overlap. And then also to see the difference of like what you see in a classroom and then what's actually happening on the land. Right? You wanna learn ahupua'a systems? We put you in on ahupua'a system. And like you watch how that functions so you can understand it. And um, yeah, <laughs> I guess it's a piece of some of the education stuff and then, there's other things we do to different extents. Like, um, part of what we try to do is, because of the, like I said, it's kind of manage an ahupua'a system. Not the full, but we have an abundance of water here. Majority of, you know, a few different sources, but majority of it is ground fed. So with that, um, we also have the connection to the ocean where that fresh ocean water meets, that muliwai sits on, the aina that we take care of. So in a sense, we have a smaller scale ahupua'a system. We have the headwaters and those ocean waters both meeting and all these different levels of habitats in between. 
so we can break things down to show people firsthand. But with that comes sensitivity, um, like it's constant management of everything, like ourselves included, every footprint we, we make, um, you know, everything our, we touch with our hands. So with that, the balance of the education programs comes, if we bring in a busload of 100 people, you know, times that 100 people by two, that's how many footprints we're tracking, every step everybody takes. Um, and if they're not aware of some of these things that exist or have that understanding or just, you know, the understanding of that level of respect it takes to move to these areas, sometimes having those hands can do more harm. Like, obviously we need the hands to make the work easier, but if the mind isn't there, those hands can, like I said, they do more harm than help. So for us, we try to, you know, scale down the size of the groups and work on the mind first. I think you've started to answer this question in different ways, but I wanted to just ask you both if you could kind of paint a picture for us of your vision for the future of Kuhioloko and kind of on a bigger scale, your future, uh, your vision for the future of Hawaii. I guess for me to, not just the species growing, not just to see all the invasives gone and see nothing but natives thriving, but also for me personally to see generations, generations, and generations after me on this land, on the land doing the same thing that we're doing and just improving on what we built and not stopping not letting off the pressure, keeping that fires burning, um, and just expanding on this land. Right now we're kind of limited on, based off of uh, our lease, we're limited. If we could get a long-term lease, if we could be on this land, taking care of this land and Malama in this Aina for the rest of our lives and for, rest of, for generations to come, if we could be here and hold this land, um, I guess that's ultimate goal. Be here forever, doing what we're doing, making Hawaii better, make, rebuilding this land, rebuilding the land surrounding us, making Hawaii a better place. Another thing is, is a big push for the Hawaiian language and, and to keep that going. And the Hawaiian language is thriving and came it's way ahead of what it was years ago, and probably people never thought it would... Where it is today, they didn't think that was possible years ago, and that's thriving, but it's not just the Hawaiian language, it's the, Hawaii, it's the ways of the Hawaiian. It's the, these whole Kanaka techniques, it's all of this Hawaiian lifestyle, that's what's threatened. Um, you know, I think the language is in a good place where you know, it will be here forever, but these teachings, these special individuals, the knowledge that they hold, that's what the next generation uh, got to step up to the plate and keep that going forever. <laughs> that's, that's it for me. Yeah, I think for me it's the same. Like Obviously we have a long-term vision and goal, but hard to see past that when we still, we're working on short-term leases and we're constantly being 
pushed in a different direction of where, where we see the needs of our community as our people, like people of Hawaii. You know, the blended, you know, a place that was able to house and blend all these different cultures from all over the world and have them work together cohesively so they could all expand upon the things that they, they bring from them from their own home place, yeah, those indigenous knowledge systems. Yeah, like, obviously for us, a, a big driving force is always uh, pushing, you know, Namea Hawaii, pushing Hawaii. That's, but for me, I see the overlap across the world, like how indigenous people, we all dealing with the same things. Like, we're all indigenous from somewhere and we're all fighting for the same three things, water, food, and air. For us, it's just getting that back. So working on that long-term lease, figuring out something so we can move even more comfortably. Um, you know, who knows, maybe we be answering to ourselves in you know, perfect scenario as far as like the names on that, that, that pala pala for our lease papers or land. But then from there, it's just building upon the foundation that's been set for us, you know, take everything we've got, expand, yeah. From the smallest piece that we cannot see with your eye to those highest birds in the sky. Like expand upon those, like, not just so they're flourishing here, but it's so abundant that it cannot be denied that it's going elsewhere. Like, how I look at it, we can be the best organization in the world, but if it's only one place that's that great, there's still, you know, there's a lot of land that you gotta make up for. So how are we able to spread that? Like everything that we house, but then that mindset, that idea, that un those understanding, the respect, how do you spread that so that you have people able to do these in other aspects, you know? You put the puzzle pieces together, you know? If you can connect them all right, you get a beautiful picture. And building that for the future, and then for us is expanding, like I said in the beginning, Kuhio Loco as an organization right now sits on a fraction of what Kuhio Loco is. You know, one of the biggest things holding us from being back there is a gate, a fence, and a sign that says federal property, no trespassing. Like, part of that is on wildlife reserve. Um, you know, and you folks seem what you see out there. Um, you, you folks can make the comparison. I don't believe there's better people set to manage and take care of land than people that is directly connected to it and have that understanding and respect for it. And people who are willing to do this work, like, not just for the money, but because that's, that's your desire, it's your passion, that's what you see needs to be done. And like, you have a drive and a purpose. Like, anybody can go and clock in on a wall for a paycheck. What are you going to do to actually see something come through? Um, so yeah, expanding across, like, yeah, I throw a rock from the back of our property onto that, that wildlife reserve and the federal properties. You know, we're on super fun site right across from us too, you know, that's been counteracting some of the stuff that we've been working hard to build back up. How do we get back out there? How do we bring all of these things 
back to the places that they used to exist, where we're now being told we don't belong. Like, I'm sorry, but we always did. Yeah. We sitting right here, we see giant ships sitting inside those, those waters yeah, of Pu'uloa. How do I get those out and get us back in there? Yeah. We put our ships, our va'a, our people. Yeah. Or maybe we keep us out and we let that be a place to house the things that Pu'uloa was known for. Yeah, these runs of fish, yeah, the abundance. How we continue to push forward to that? How far we gotta go? Let's do it. <laughs> um, and then for that, yeah, just. And I, I mentioned earlier, like sometimes I look at us, like we're just the stokers for the fire, yeah. And like, how do we find those little pieces of fire existing in each of us, yeah, before they burn out? Stoke them, you know, so that they start to, you know, they breathe, yeah. But as you teach those. You bring that fire back, how do you teach them to refine that? Yeah. You know, for a lot of us, we already get that burning fire and that's what gets us in trouble. Yeah, that burning fire, like fire can be the most destructive force, but also it can be a very useful one. Yeah. Long fire rage, yeah, it's gonna take over land, it's gonna burn ourselves down. But you refine that flame and you focus it. Yeah. Fire melts and burns steel. Like, we can shift the foundation of things. We're able to repurpose and refine those fires in each of us. That's where it's gonna come. Like, you know, the hands do the work, but the mind, the mind is what pushes into change, yeah. And certain things that once they planted in your mind, like, oh, you, just, you can't do, that, do things the same. Like, problem is right now, a lot of us, a lot of people are losing that, yeah, that disconnect. So how do we continue to push that out in there? We just realize, like, Maybe it's not for everybody. Almost to a point where you're forced to at least acknowledge it's the existence. Yeah, so it's undeniable. And continue it. I'm tired of seeing things get checked off on an endangered species list or extinction list. Yeah. How, how, do, we, how do we reverse that process, reverse that cycle? Yeah. And be able to live parts of those mo'olero that connected us to some of those species that are endangered today, that again, we get one sign in between us and that species that I cannot go there, cannot touch that. Sorry, but that's, that's a part of our lives that you displacing from us. And how, how do we get it to a point so that's back to the common knowledge, that is back to life. Mahalo Nui, is there anything else you wanna share before we close out? Just mahalo to you folks and, you know, you know, ultimate mahalo to Hawaii People's Fund. Like I said, that was the first grant, first outside funding source our organization ever received. Like, it's always going to be a piece of our mo'olelo. Yeah, it's a piece of the foundation that we're building with this organization. Um, and yeah, like I said, unsung heroes behind the scenes. Yeah. <laughs> Mahalo. Hawaii Rising is a podcast from the Hawaii People's Fund produced by me. And me. With additional support from... Mickey! Our theme music is Revolutionary from the band Ukla the Mock, written and sung by Mickey Hui Hui. Revolutionary, what flag you fly?
A big thank you to our community supporters and to you, our audience, for listening. Ahui ho!